everyone. It's been a crazy busy couple months, but we're really looking forward to getting this next episode out into the world and into your ears. Before we introduce our guests, though, we wanted to take a quick minute to make sure you didn't miss our latest feature announcement. It's called Inspect. Combined with two new route filters, along with the trusty heat maps, we feel it's the most powerful way to discover new routes. From the Explore page in the mobile app, all you have to do is long press anywhere on the map and Inspect will give you the best routes that pass through that precise point. It's easy, it's awesome, and it gives you exactly the ride you're looking for and exactly the place you want it. Like we said, we're pretty excited about it all and know that Inspect will definitely make finding new quality routes tailored to your riding style easier than ever, which, as it turns out, is kind of our thing. All right, moving on. Episode eight of Ride Buddies is here. Hey, great to see you. Action. Great to see you. Uh, welcome back. Thank you. Last time we crossed paths. Uh, Tucson. Tucson, Arizona. Let's see. That was, was that January? That was January, I think, or maybe early Feb, but. Okay. So in that time, where have you been? Yeah, so yeah, right after we saw you, uh, Margaret and I got in the car, drove back east, stopped in Bentonville. Nice. First time? And not my first time in Bentonville, but it, it was a good, it, it was like a good way station in between coming back home and, and having spent those those weeks in Arizona. Yeah. And so we spent a week in Bentonville. I rode bikes, went to the museum, saw friends there. Margaret was able to work remotely from, from Bentonville and then... The 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 next weekend, we finished the drive back back to Vermont, yeah. and then we were we were here for like a week before yeah. getting on a plane going to Italy, where we were for three weeks, uh-huh. kind of holiday riding bikes, uh-huh. working remotely down in Puglia, yeah. and then Margaret had to go home, and I stayed on in Europe and and took the ferry to Spain and rode. Nice. Rode around Spain on a folding bike, if you can believe that. Uh, how big were your wheels? 20-inch wheels. Okay. Bike Friday. Yeah. And so, right, because, like, they're, they're a multimodal dream, right? Uh-huh. Because you can, it, so we both have these folding bikes. And, okay. it, you know, we started in our apartment in New York, got in the cab, checked the bikes on the plane, and then you rent this, it's you know, horrible. this minuscule car in, in Rome, and the two bikes are in the, in the boot. And we had those for, for the whole time we were there. So, you know, I look like a circus bear when I'm on this bike. It's sure. just, it's to, not that, not that you should go to the circus or like uh-huh. torture bears, but I look like a circus <laughs> bear on, on this little tiny folding bike, yeah. but they're, they're pretty capable. And yeah. you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it, it's a, a bike that you can, you can do big climbs on and spend the whole day on. And so that's what I was riding in Spain. Um, not to go down the detour of what it is like to ride one of those bikes. Does it feel, does it feel like identical to riding a traditional bike? A little no. bit different, a little squirrely? What's the... Yeah, it's, it's twitchy. It's, okay. it's fast. Like the front end is fast. They're, re- they're really low trail or yeah. at least many of them are really low trail. Yeah. And so it, it feels like super sensitive yeah. when you got the bag in front that slows it down a little bit. Uh, so people who tell you that the sensation is identical are, 
exaggerating, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's close enough. And you spent, you know, we're, we ride bikes and it's so like riding a bike. yeah, it's just being on a bike and, and it's hilarious. Like, you know, rolling up into a town and you've got your bike packing kit, but, mm-hmm. but it's all, it's all attached to this mm-hmm. tiny folding thing that can go in a suitcase. That's so awesome. Uh, yeah, we think of the, I feel like the traditional sense of a cyclist thinks of, you know, they're envious around travel day of a runner who just arrives with a pair of shoes right. or a swimmer with a pair of goggles. Right, right, right. And a cyclist, I mean, Laura and I are in the midst of rejiggering our entire vehicular situation to put two adults, soon to be two kids. We have uh, a son on the way. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Which, you know, we're not the first people in the world to put, to have two children, but how frequently we end up having to put two bike boxes into a car and then you remove the entire middle row as a result of two kids seats. It's, it's amazing how big of a vehicle you need. Uh, it would be so awesome to just purely be riding foldable bikes. Um, okay. Detour complete. Speaking of detours. So you went Italy to Spain. Yeah. So we were in Puglia, as I mentioned, we were in Puglia in Italy, which Margaret and I had never been to, though we'd been to Italy lots of times like that. That's right in the the heel of the boot Mm -hmm. and the, 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 the region's gorgeous, yeah. uh, you know, wine, olive oil, um, old stone houses. It's, I, I mean, you know, so it, it's, yeah. it's incredible. And then, then I, I departed from Rome on the ferry to get to Barcelona. Nice. And how long were you in Spain? Three weeks. Holy smokes. Three, doing a kind of U-shaped ride yeah. down to, the, I was basically pursuing the sunshine. I was going right? to say, it looks sun-kissed, which I yeah. like. I mean, he, we had raspberry Tizza this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, well-known Vermont spring kickoff event and people were telling me that I look sun-kissed which admittedly I've been in California for uh the better part of a month so yeah so after so speaking of which after we saw each other you 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 came back here but then you were out west again right you right. were back and forth right 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 uh Tucson was a relatively last minute trip um because yeah we you're right. It was February. We were in California for the coast ride, which is a, a terrific ride down the California coast in January. It happens every year amongst a group of friends. Came home to Vermont. Thought we were home for the long haul, but then we had the idea of uh, chasing the sun. So we went to Tucson, which was awesome. Uh, both of our former stopping grounds, you and I, Laura had never been. Uh, she had been once for a triathlon training camp, mm. but we hadn't been back in a dozen or more years. So it was, it was such a it's such a great reunion spot, you know, it a place you've spent so much time on a bike and to see it over, over time and what's changed, what hasn't. When I, that, that day when, when, uh, we crossed paths like unexpectedly and you were riding down from yeah. Tucson to Patagonia <laughs> and it was so funny because like in the distance I saw, you know, you were coming up, you were coming up the climb uh-huh. and, and you know, I, you have this look of a, of a serious cyclist and you look, you know, you look like you meant business. And so you were coming up this climb, but as you got closer, like before I recognized you, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, this, this dude's getting punished because you're, yeah. you know, like big rocks and, and you were on a track that maybe it's just as easily been on a mountain bike. Yeah. Right. Right. But then you got, and I was like, dead, dead. So, so that ride was, was incredible. And, but you did a bunch of great rides down there. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, Example of going back to a place. I think of Middlebury often to go all over the map, literally and figuratively. I got into cycling at Middlebury College down the road, and I only rode on the road. And so to go back now and ride all the gravel roads around there is is so eye opening and so much fun. No different than okay, amid my time 
at Middlebury, I went to Tucson for a couple, a semester, and then mm. uh, uh, extended period, another month or so. And we only ever rode on the road. Um, I was a pure road racer at the time, so it wasn't like gravel is a thing. And on top of that, it was also sort of the heyday, not heyday, uh, there's so many, everything is sharp there and unforgiving. Yeah, there's cactus, yeah, yeah. and it was, it was definitely in a, a pre or early phase of sealant and tubeless tires. <laughs> and so you're riding tubed mountain bikes and it's like, well, yeah, what are you gonna do when you had a cactus? Like you're so screwed. Yeah. Whereas now you, you, as a result of technology, it's so cool to get off road, to go explore. Yeah. It would, yeah. 15 years ago, the last time I was in Tucson, it would never cross my mind to do that route from Tucson to Patagonia on the route that, that we overlapped. Well, that, that area, that area around Elephant Head, mm-hmm. I think you were south of Elephant Head at that point, but anyway, the area around Elephant Head, we used to mountain bike there, right? And I was a grad student in the 90s in, in Arizona, yeah. at the University of Arizona. And yeah. like, we thought of those as mountain bike rides. Yeah. Right. That's that, that, there was no doubt in our minds that that's what mountain bikes were for. And we would never dream of putting a drop bar bike on that. Right. But nowadays, here we are. Yeah. It's the full circle of, of cycling. Uh, it's, I love I reference it often. I love that mountain bike technology is coming to road riding and gravel riding. But, and by that, I typically mean better brakes and disc brakes. Yeah. Wider gears, wider gear ratios, and wider tires. And maybe wider handlebars. I mean, it just, it sort of brings you back to you know, what is the perfect bike. You're going to have a quiver of one. What is it? And it's, right. it is this sort of hybrid mountain road. Not to make the conversation about gravel, but yeah, it's this it ends up landing sort of at this, this gravel centric thing. Um, so, okay. Way back when yeah, yeah. your entry into cycling was, I believe your collegiate years. Yeah. And it was on a mountain bike. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So this is, so I, I got to Williams college in the fall of 87. Okay. And that was the first time I'd ever seen mountain bikes. Yeah. Right. So, so college students were starting to have mountain bikes at that point. They, you know, we're probably at that point five years into commercially available production mountain bikes falling into the hands of perfectly ordinary people that you might hang out with yeah. outside of California. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, so fall of 87 is the first time I see a mountain bike. I'd ridden a little bit of BMX as a kid, mm-hmm. but not, you know, don't get any image of like jumping jumps or being serious, but it's just, but I you're had, familiar with bike. the concept of what centrifugal force. I mean, the way a bike works. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, and so I'm like, this is interesting. Like, what is this? These bikes are like BMX tires on, on these 10 speeds, but they have what, like, I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just understand what I'm looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And suspension. No, okay. no, this is pre, this is even, yeah, this is pre that first rock shock and, and pre suspension stem. Yeah. Um, and so, so the next year, like it took me a year to like save up the $350 to like yeah. go to the local shop and get one of these things. I got a GT to Cuesta. Oh, nice. Uh, what color was it? It was black, black okay. with teal, teal lettering and like, like yeah. a, like a spider web kind of lattice work on it. Which I still, I, I, it's ridiculous. Right? I should still have that bike. Yeah. Uh, and so then we just rode in the hills, and and you know, Williamstown, like like Middlebury, or like many small towns in New England, 
you know, super easy to just ride from your doorstep into the woods. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we were idiots, but that, that, that made it like that made it much more fun than almost any ride I do now. Right. Which involves preparation and yeah. stressing out about whether I'm wearing the right thing and, and have the right preparation. But you know, we, we, we would like wrap these kerchiefs around our heads and put on our hiking boots and go, go into the woods on these bicycles. Yeah. And that, that's how I started. Yeah. That's, that was my introduction to cycling. How about athletics previously? I, you know, I, I went to a, a big urban high school in Miami. Uh-huh. Uh, and even though I, I like to be outside and, and maybe had the flirtation with like track type things as a, as a young person, by the time I was in high school, it was just, it was like one of those moronic things where it's just like you had the jocks and then you had the, the nerds. I'm in, I'm on team nerd <laughs> and, and these two groups don't intersect. Uh-huh. So so it really was a kind of a, a kind of entry into both not just bicycles but also like being embodied which is so important to to me to us now. Yep. Um where you you end up at a uh prestigious liberal arts school in Northwest Massachusetts. Did you apply to many schools? Where like how how do you suppose you ended up at Williams? Yeah, it's it's funny. So okay, so I'm a professor at Williams now, and so I talk to you know generations of students. They they just keep renewing. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's nice. Like every, everybody in my world is like between 19 and 22, right? Yeah. That's like that. The, everybody, except uh, the other professors. Um, and so so I talk to students now about their their college search and their anxieties about about university and. I, it was just, it just wasn't like that. Like I, I was so basically ill-informed and ignorant about what the world was that, mm-hmm. you know, you, you would write a letter to, you'd write like a postcard to a, a college and ask for their course catalog and their application materials. And no three weeks later, maybe, maybe they would have replied. Yeah. And so, right. There's no internet. There's no email. There's no, right. Yeah. And so yep. if you want, you want to call somebody, you have to call directory assistance uh-huh. in the state or the area code where they are. And you have to like, right. uh, and so, so I applied to some big universities. I applied to Berkeley and University of Florida. I also applied to some small schools because some friends had done a college tour and reported that this area was, you know, I, like I had, you know, I had in my head like mm-hmm. a Robert Frost poem. Like maybe I could go to school, that kind of place. Yeah. And so, yeah. how did you end, how, like in you you in Middlebury? Like how did you how did how did that? Yeah. My 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 question was stemmed from it. If you had gone to the University of Miami, mm. you probably wouldn't have found cycling in the in the capacity that it is in your life now. And mm. maybe you would, maybe it wouldn't have. I I would probably have cycling in my life. Um, I largely applied to small liberal arts schools in New England with some exceptions. Uh, and I got into cycling because, um, I have a brother who's three years my senior. Mm. He went to a prep school in New Hampshire that had a cycling team. He took to it quickly and well. And I, I was, I was more into team sports through high school. I played a heck of a lot of hockey, uh, soccer and tennis. And... Uh, I went off to college and thought, okay, now my, my athletic career is over. Uh, I'll pursue academics. You know, Middlebury's a school that 
behooves you to, to study hard. And coincidentally, the University of Vermont, which was 45 minutes up the road from Middlebury, was hosting the Collegiate National Championships. My brother, uh, who was at yeah. Colorado College as a student, came <laughs> to that national championship, which finished over Appalachian Gap, which so, now is a regular training ride from where we sit here. Right. It's, it's within training distance of Middlebury. Right. I watched the feed zone, which this really could have been the first ever bike race that I watched. Oh, I watched the feed zone. My parents are there. My grandmother's there. I helped my brother out in the feed zone. I remember him uh, reprimanding me because, you know, you're supposed to go like this and hold the water bottle out. And I'm running alongside being like, you want a Snickers bar? Do you want another bottle? <laughs> and, like, and I just remember on. him saying, just give me the damn bottle. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I've had enough of this bike racing thing. I'm going back to campus. He wins the race. So over time, over a short period of time, I realized I'm probably the recipient of hand-me-downs. I probably share the same genes. I can, uh, I can take to this this sport of cycling, and let's see where it takes me. But that's pretty late, right? For for somebody who's going to race pro yeah. in Europe, you you get to the sport right like five years after a lot of a lot of the folks you raced against. It's fascinating, especially now. I feel like the sport of cycling uh, is under the microscope. In that, you know, if you're if you're not a pro by 21, it's like, what are you doing with your life? Uh, yeah. yeah. I had a teammate my penultimate year when I was on liquid gas, who at that point was a 19-year-old two-time world champion, uh, Mate Mahoric, who's now winning oh, right. he's, phenomenal yeah. cyclist. Yeah. Now he's an elder statesman at probably, what, 2027, 20, yeah. maybe? Um, and I was like, Mate, I wasn't even riding a bike, and you're a two-time world champion. Like You, were, you are going to exceed you know, any expectation I might have had for this sport. Uh, yeah, I, I was anomalous in 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 getting the sport late and making to the world tour and my whole career was uh i would call it a series of doors opening you know i never had Mm, an expectation mm. when i first got into sport i thought okay i would try this sport and then as i do pretty well in the collegiate ranks and the the amateur ranks i thought you know maybe i'd try to become a pro and so senior year when friends are applying to jobs yeah, I basically applied to a pro, be a pro cyclist. Did, I think we decided that I saw you racing down on the Williams campus. Yeah, right? like that was the span when yeah. I was coaching the Williams team. Right, That's right. so so I, I knew of you, and then as you went to Europe, then I was just like, oh heck yeah. Which was, uh, I mean, even I, yeah, I was good in the collegiate ranks. I mean, sort of in that top three racers in the Northeast and do well at nationals, etc. But like, I was far from exemplary. So I think I also characterized characterized my whole career as a heck of a lot of hard work and grit mixed with some talent, which also speaks to the, it's, it's, it's such a fun sport to analyze with, especially non cycling fans. Cause they might mm-hmm. say like, well, why don't you train harder? And maybe you could be a tour de France team leader. And it's like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. you are born with yeah. X physiology right. and this is going right. to fit into the cartridge of, of, the pro peloton, if you can even make it that far, it's, it's fascinating. Do you, do you think coming to it, uh, you know, that, that much later than, than a lot of your peers, like, did that, did that keep doors open for you? Like, I think of you as super, like during your career, you were super imaginative on social media and you were always, at least to me, like much more accessible as a human being to the, the fans of the sport. And now after coming back from Europe, now you're doing this other thing that's tremendous and that you're well known for and your imagination just seems to me more expansive than, than 
that of a person who was channeled into something very early. So, so is that part of what's going on that you came to it late? Uh, I mean, I think it, you're spot on in that there are the, the unintended consequences of a decision at the time that, that, you know, pay dividends down the road that you don't even realize are at play. Yeah. Uh, so social media, you know, I, I, I took to Twitter because the, you know, that seemed like a fun thing to do. And, and you should buy it. I should. If only I had a little bit more cash. They were, they were looking at my offer and didn't like it. Mm. Facebook, love it or hate it nowadays. I got on Facebook because it was, it was designed for small liberal arts students in New England at the time. Right. And right. so it was like Definitely. the way to hit on the girl in your Spanish class that you don't know. Um, so, yeah, I was early adopted to a lot of these things. Uh, I, I started a blog in 2006, uh, iamtedking.blogspot.com, in order to write one email and describe the previous week of what it was like racing rather than writing 15 emails to, to family and friends right. to describe that experience. So nothing was intended then to then, you know, right, I think I had, I created a uh, following in the world tour because I was trying to be transparent of what this funky lifestyle was like. Yeah. And now fast forward to now, it's like Laura is also an incredible athlete. We're sharing this experience of what it's like to have a family often on the road at races. Uh, but when I met Laura in 2016, before we were married, before we had kids, obviously I'm now in the gravel space. Like gravel wasn't, what it is now as yeah. it was then. So it's yeah. just this nonstop evolution and it's sort of being, uh, ready to, to jump off on any opportunity that comes your way. So, so, so I feel like you're in a, you're in as good a position to think about this stuff as anyone in the universe. So do you think is, you know, some people are worried that gravel is kind of headed toward, toward road, sort of the, the, the values and ethos of road racing mm-hmm. values and, and, and an aesthetic that you know in your bones, having spent all those years in Europe road racing, do you think that's right that it's headed that way, or is it is it it's maybe it's is it bending in that direction, but it's never gonna never gonna be the same. There's always gonna be like a par- like a distance between them. What what do you think about that? Uh, I think about it often. I certainly don't have a crystal ball that I know the answer to it. Um, when I one thing that stands out to me at my first ever big national level gravel race, something, uh, a race currently called unbound was purely the community. I had success at the race, but the fact that it's, it's so much about everybody there. And I, you know, I, I sort of cringe at the word community because it's used in every sentence of, of cycling nomenclature. Uh, but it, there's no better word. Yeah. And it's the, it's the folks who are finishing at 1130 on a, on a Saturday night on commercial street in Emporia. And that's what floats the event. That's what is, that is everything. That's, that is the sport. That is the, the body of the sport of gravel. Whereas in road racing, and I'm a product of road racing. I love road racing. I want to see road racing exist and and thrive. It's in such a hurting place now in America. Uh, Mm. I'm sort of throwing things out the wall here. What I, where I think the two 
diverge in a big way is it is that community. You might see a gravel event or hear about a gravel event. And because your buddy who rides once every six months has signed up and he says, this is cool. And by the way, there's a beer garden afterwards mm-hmm. and, and we're not there for the race. We're there for this ride. I think that and gravel in general is the first time that there can be this gravitational bringing together that you will never get with, with due respect to crit racing Mm. with grand fondos, with road racing. Like there's, there's something that's still very difficult and standoffish about those. That is my hope, right? I mean, it boggles my mind how serious gravel racing has gotten Mm -hmm. and it only will continue in that direction for, for who knows how long mountain biking in a, in a generation that precedes me has gone through that, yeah. Period. Yeah. And now, now mountain biking is thriving and awesome. And so I don't know. So as someone who lives in it and has all these ideas here, there and everywhere, what do you see to, to ask you the identical question? Yeah. I, so, yes. Uh, and let I, me interrupt. Sorry. Yeah. 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 My my perspective that I've just answered for the previous five minutes is is gravel with a number on your handlebars, and gravel of course yeah. is so much bigger than that. Right, right. And so the, you know that was I'm not saying that gravel with a number on your handlebars is the only thing of gravel. There's so much more than that. Than that. Yeah, I like the way of putting it. The, the with the number on on the handlebars, I get that. Um, I mean, like, look, I'm a huge fan of bike racing, right? So so, so uh, Greg Greg LeMond, uh, the, the Indurain era, the, the Lance era, right? So all like, like I'm a huge fan of, of, of bike racing and my own relationship to, to racing bikes is that I was like a super mediocre, you know, cat three pack platter. And so I loved it. I did it. It was an important part of my life when I was doing it. But I also have this other part, like this maybe bigger part of my, of my bicycling life having to do with, with being in a place often in a faraway place being, uh, self-sufficient, right? So, so with your, your bag strapped to your bike, improvising, following an old map or following the contour of the land or, or being in a, in a place that embeds you in the history and the culture and the, and the geography of a place. Like that's a huge part of my life too. And those seem to me pretty separate. They both involve bicycles, but they seem to me pretty separate. And of course, there's there's a, a massive community of people who race, you know, in the kind of bikepacking context. You know, I think of my good friend Leo Wilcox, who who is about as good at that as one can be. And so, you know, and and I admire I admire that intersection, but that intersection's not really at the front of my mind. So right. I'm I'm always, like I I watch and consume bike racing and love it. And then there's this other thing that I do. And in in the context of that other thing, I don't have it. I don't have it quite sorted out in my head entirely, but it seems to me that what happened was like when, when bikepacking started to be a thing that people talked about, it's existed for right since there were bikes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but it started to be a thing that people talked about in, you know, 2005, 2010 ish. The word is from the seventies, right? 
National bike Geographic. Packing. Yeah, the word bike packing yeah. from the seventies, National Geographic. Uh, and so, so people started talking about it in two thousand ten. Uh, my good friend Logan Watts started bikepacking.com under its previous name around that time. That was probably a really good website name to buy, URL to buy. Yeah, it's funny. There's a funny story about that where oh, no where where uh, <laughs> our other buddy Neil had that that URL first, uh, yeah. that domain domain name first, and then and then Logan and Neil got together and, and have done this great thing, and so. So when people started to talk about bikepacking as a thing, it was a mountain bike thing, right? Okay. It was it, like you were mountain biking. I'm sorry, you were bikepacking on your on your hardtail or your dual suspension bicycle with a backpack on. Yeah, and that's what it was for like six going into eight years. And then here's my theory. I think what happened was that mountain bikes got more like aggro and sendy, right? They like yep. you know the front ends got slacker the 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 seat tube angles got steeper mm-hmm. and those bikes started to seem less fun to just go on a dirt tour on yep. like if you know if you were going to do the VTXL you probably wouldn't take your your very slacked out you know mountain bike right and so oh dude did, did you sorry sorry did you have you picked up on the fact that you're 2 years almost to the day since you finished the VTXL no that was it what? was like May May first or May second that you finished it, right? No, June. Was it June? I think it would. I uh, I think June because I was trying to. That was when I created DIY gravel, oh, and I was trying to so overlap. So I have a month to go. Well, so yeah, you're down to you know we're at uh, forty seven months. Forty seven months. Okay, 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 right, right, right. That's that sounds it. two years doesn't sound like a long time. Forty seven months sounds like a very long time. Yeah, that does sound. Wait, like that's four years. Sorry, twenty uh, twenty three. Tw- twenty three months. Twenty three. Okay. Um, all right. So so yeah. Sorry. So so my story's too long, <laughs> but but I, I guess what I, what I was sneaking up on is this idea that once mountain bikes no longer seemed the right tool to go bikepacking on. Yeah. Then people started doing that stuff on, on gravel bikes. Right. And probably if you, if you pick the, you know, the, the modal demographic of bikepacking.com, it's probably somebody who rides a drop bar bike with, with 50 mil tires Mm -hmm. rather than what it started for, which is mountain bikes. Okay. So what does all that say? To me, what that says is that there's a, there's this big, community of gravel riders and you were alluding to this earlier right this yep. big community of gravel riders who who are about the exploration to invoke another cliche or yeah. about the about being on a kind of trip with their friends in a landscape learning about a place being mm-hmm. with each other and that's that that community that sense of community seems to me central to the aesthetic of fat tire bikes with drop bars that mm-hmm. you and I ride in, in common in a certain way, but also with important, you know, with important divergences. Mm-hmm. Which makes me think of 700 different things. Um, not least of which talking purely about the hardware, we were talking about how I, when I was at Middlebury, I wouldn't ride the gravel roads because my, road bike with 21 or 23 yeah. mil tires would immediately puncture and yeah. then you have a creek. Um, and that makes me think of bike packing. You know, you said when it was originally designed, it was a lot of folks who were on mountain bikes and bike packing on mountain bikes. Um, how much bike packing was taking place on road bikes? Would you say, or was it? 
Yeah, that's that's uh, awesome. I mean, then and then it then it becomes kind of annoyingly semantical. Like, what do we mean by right. bikepacking? Right, right. So right. you know, it's like when, so I loved your I loved the way you're putting it. Like gravel riding with a number on the front that that sort of <laughs> defines a certain kind of activity. Uh-huh. To me, bikepacking is is a kind of minimalism with respect to the gear. So, so that kind of encourages you to, to put soft bags on your bike rather than four panniers or yep. two panniers, though I'm, I'm perfectly open to the idea that somebody's going to bike. I mean, I was just bikepacking on a folding bike. So right. of right. course I'm open to the idea that people bike pack with four or leave panniers. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to tour. Uh-huh. But so for me, bikepacking is, is, a, a certain kind of minimalism, a certain kind of aesthetic to be on dirt rather than tarmac. Mm-hmm. And doing that on a road bike is tricky for just mm-hmm. the reasons you're saying, right? It's it just like, you, you know, we all ride our road bikes on, yep. on dirt, but it's not, it's not that fun. Right. And we, we do now with greater capability than we do a decade or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas the non-starter, now you do it for a hundred yard bike trail section. Right. And then you're back on the pavement and that's a much more comfortable ride. Um, yeah, the, the, you're right about the semantics of it all. Um, do you consider credit card camping bike packing? Before I answer, let me just say, I've done a ton of credit card trips. Like this, like this is how, this is how Margaret and I, we did this awesome trip starting from home in, in Pownall, we, we did this triangle from Pownall to Grafton, stayed yep. at the Grafton Inn, nice. and then crossed over to Dorset, stayed at the Dorset Inn, nice. and then rode back home. Yeah. So two nights, uh, you know, basically Margaret had, she just had her little black dress and a, and a puffy coat right. and, and a saddlebag, and we had our credit card, and mm-hmm. it was one of the best you know, of course it's with my wife. So, so of course it was awesome. So, yeah. and, you know, we were drinking wine and having a great dinner every night. Uh-huh. So that was a great trip. So that's definitely a kind of trip that I'm enthusiastic about. Yeah. I, I, bike packing, I, you know, I guess, I guess to me again, bike packing is first an, a kind of aesthetic commitment where the aesthetic has to do with, or the values have to do with, uh, self-sufficiency, uh, kind of quiet on quiet roads or the kind of quietude of soul that you get on quiet roads, maybe seeing something new and being embedded in a place, uh, Mm -hmm. trying to internalize some of the history and the story of that place. Like those are the things that for me define bikepacking. People find that on, if, if people are going to seek that on like e-bikes going from in to in in Switzerland, Mm -hmm. sounds great to me. Yeah. Like that's, that's not my jam, but that, that seems like bike backing to me. Yep. Yeah. I tend to agree. I understand the, uh, uh, a fondness for a traditional method. Um, but it, it, that's often the, you know, I get questions all the time and I am a total novice bike packer. I get questions all the time. How do I even start? And I often will tell people do a do a credit card trip. Yeah, for sure. Because you have the the you know you can have a warm shower and a bed. It's intimidating to even think of the hardware you have to bring from a tent to a to a whatever the heck to be completely self sufficient to be get 
get out the door and go. There's something so cool about a point to point. And even if you're going from your home to a hotel overnight and then back home the next day, that's an awesome first hurdle. Yeah. And you'll, you'll quickly begin to try to challenge yourself in new and different ways. Um, I'm going to shut off the background emails so we stop getting pinging. Uh, is, okay. that, is that appealing at all to you? The, like, um, like bike packing, so like, like competitive bike packing, ride the Great Divide. Ride I would, the... man, I would love to do the Great Divide. Um, that's a sentence, and now I'll move on to another sentence. You created VTXL at my questioning. Does this route exist? No, it doesn't. But I think I can craft something up. Um, and now it's a super cool to see how many people are doing it quickly or slowly. And yeah. I get a lot of questions about it. I'm sure you do too. Yeah, it's so cool. And what I I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I did it as quickly as possible. You will have so much fun if you do it at a minimum four days. I did it four days. Yeah, <laughs> right? and, and that's what. I'm and doing. that's still a huge challenge. Yeah. That's, and you can explore, and you can detour, and you can find swimming holes and creamies and everything that makes Vermont phenomenal. Um. That would be my idea of how to do it again, uh, doing it in the reverse uh, direction. Yeah. Um, um, I so my bike packing experience exists uh, in the following capacity. I wouldn't even consider that. Well, that's a long one day point to point. I did the James Bay descent, which was the James Bay of Canada in the winter. Dude, way to jump in, like, both feet into the deepest end. Like, that's insane. Yes, with people holding my hands. Like, people who are very experienced at keeping oneself alive when it is negative 40 degrees outside of your parka. Um, And that was cool, and I had full faith that we would come back because uh, two of the three people with whom I traveled have children and spouses. All of them have spouses. And, you know, I was at that point married and with a child on the way, so I was like... Guys, I literally need to come yeah, I home. Definitely need to get home. Um, and and <laughs> yeah, my two fears were the temperature, negative forty degrees, northern Canada, February, and polar bears. And the po- the risk of polar bears was great on the first day because we were near a body of water. And then after that, we were inland a little bit. And so once we got through the first day and didn't see any polar bears, we were golden. And he, and <laughs> Buck, awesome. our very Canadian, everybody was Canadian except myself. But Buck has the big beard and just buck is the man he also carried the shotgun naturally and he was adamant that we would survive the bears that was jumping both feet in that was wild um the arkansas high country oh yeah is a race that fit well in a pandemic uh i did that october 2020 things seemed to be coming a little bit normal obviously in, in hindsight things were not normal in 2020 by any stretch of the imagination, but there was something neat about what you alluded to in bikepacking in the first place, being self-sufficient and not relying on hotels and being indoors and being in general stores and, and, but still aspects of that make bikepacking so cool in a, in that rural setting of Northwest Arkansas, being able to, to see these glimpses and see humanity and that, that had been so closed off for so long. Yeah. Uh, and and that one you were you were you were like what sleeping in a bivy bag and I I and, did I had yeah. a bivy I did sleep, I'm not 
I did sleep in a hotel one night. I slept in a community center, which is just like an open door yep. uh, town hall. Come in, yeah. uh, I camped one night, um, and it was that was wild. I I distance and time make the heart grow fonder, and so I consider. Oh yeah, that was kind of fun. Well, I want to go back, and and uh, I still have the FKT. I came within spitting distance of losing it this past year. I don't know if you followed it. It was fascinating. This guy from Connecticut was there. I went to bed. You know, you're watching the dot. We're dot watching all throughout the week, and he had I want to say 30 miles to go, and I went to bed knowing that I was going to wake up the next day that with him completing it, and a storm came through and. He stopped with 30 miles to go and oh. did not get the FKT. So I know Whoa. he's all the hungrier to go back. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that that set off the question often, like, okay, if he had taken it, would I go back? And yeah, I like the romanticized view of, mm. yeah, it'd be fun to go back. Mm-hmm. But I, I lost feeling in my fingers and toes for months. <laughs> oh, no. Those are the things that happen when you're racing as opposed to, yeah, I'd like to just go back and ride it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's a very long-winded way of saying I'm a novice at bikepacking. Um, I'm curious. Big, big picture question being old versus new, mm-hmm. right? In mm-hmm. terms of routes, mm-hmm. like, do you want to ride a new route that you've never done and explore a new area, or do you have your favorites that you love going back to? Um, yeah, I think of it. I, I mean, I think about that concept frequently in cycling: old versus new. Like what the traditionalism in cycling. Uh, you know, I love new technology. I love disc brakes. I love yeah. sealant and fat tires and big gear ratios and the comfort of bikes. But there's still something cool and romanticized about so many things that are old school in yeah. cycling. Yeah, uh, I love this because it, like old versus new is like so like provocatively massive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. So good because it, I, I think, I think probably, uh, a lot of my friends don't quite see it this, you know, a lot of people I, I do trips with Logan and, and Jess and, and Virginia, I, a lot of people I, I do trips with appreciate the, the new technology and, and are eager to embrace you know, anything that will make, like, will be a means to, to a successful ride. But there, but my sense of them, you know, we're going to, I'll hear about it if I'm wrong (laughs) about this, but my sense of them is that, that they tend not to think in sort of historico aesthetic terms. Mm -hmm. So they're not trying to like, maybe Ronnie romance is like this, uh, you know, ultra romance. Yeah. So my good friend, Ronnie, maybe he's like this, but, but people tend, people I hang out with tend not to think in terms of what am I doing now that harkens back to the way it was done 30 years ago or 110 years ago or 20 years ago. And, you know, being concerned about that can, can maybe sort of shade off into, into like some weird, fetishizing of the past or like weird fashion or like making Mm -hmm. it a cosplay kind of thing. But I hope it's not that for me. Like, like I, I, I still want to know, like, how did people present themselves in the 1890s when they were doing around the world dirt bicycle trip or 
or, or, or like the shape of the bicycle that Eddie Merckx was riding, right? Not quite the shape that pros are riding now. Pros are riding much lower front ends and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it, the, the bikes look different from the early seventies to now. Like take some of those early seventies bikes like that imagery of the classic era of road riding. And what does that, what does that tell us about mm-hmm. design, about, uh, about personal presentation, about fashion? And so, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of the bikepacking trips I go on, I'm in roadie kit, maybe a Merino Jersey instead of a plastic one. But anyway, I mean, I mean, I mean, roadie kit. Yeah. And the reason I am is because, I'm traveling in a sort of sporty culture, like I'm in Slovenia or I'm, you know, in Italy. And there's a, there's a kind of referencing to the beauty of this, of the sporting history in the way you present yourself and people read you as acknowledging that history. So for me, there always needs to be a dialogue between like how you do it now and how it was done in the past out of reverence, out of admiration, out of a sense of continuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I love the, the old versus new contrast because it, it like lets us think about the, the history of what, of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want to know what you think about this, but uh, let me just say that as far as roots, mm-hmm. I always want to do new roots. Like I, I just, like there, like there, there are p- places and people and stories to hear that yeah. I want. Like I, I don't have that many more years on this earth. You know, I'm twice as old as you, and so, well, maybe not twice, but anyway, close. But, but uh, you know, I want, there, I want to, I want to see the things that I haven't seen yet. So I always want to do the new thing in that respect. I could not agree more. Uh, I certainly have my favorite rides around here. I love coming home. There's something that I think I finished my podcast. By often saying, "What is your you know favorite place to ride a bike?" and I'd say more often than not, people will say their home, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know that's because Fair. it's probably the the areas they know and the areas they uh, have spent a lot of time and so on and so forth. But I'm with you. Bigger than that, outside of right here, I would love to go explore new places, and uh, I'm certainly lucky to have ridden in a lot of really cool spots. But yeah, there's so many more to go and see and do. Um, by no means do I want to, the preface to this is I, I we're not going to politicize this conversation. You've mentioned you're good friends with Lael. Lael has been a, uh, a guest on my podcast. What she is doing on the bike is so freaking cool and, so and cool. expanding, uh, horizons for, for, girls in Alaska who never would consider riding a bike, uh, and, and certainly stomping plenty of men in, in the competitions that she is doing. She recently, uh, set a documented, which is to say her trip was documented FKT on the Arizona trail, which has been, uh, politicized. I mean, people love it or hate it. And seemingly from social media, they largely love it. I, but then I, I, I can empathize with what people are saying about there is a emotional boost you get by seeing like anything. Like when you are hanging on by, by a ragged thread and your Mm. emotions are torn and your Mm. legs are torn and you are just at the end of your wits in the midst of a a bikepacking trip, I can see why that would be an emotional boost to see a loved one Mm. to 
who knows what high five or just know that they're there. And I think of, and this is my experience thinking of from the Arkansas high country, my personal takeaway, and it's, it is merely my opinion is that it, it airs towards newer rather than old. When I go ask the question of new versus old, it's mm, like mm. with better technology, like we're, we're riding the best bikes now with better technology. Again, tires, brakes, gearing, suspension, whatever the heck that are, it's going to make you faster now than they would in a previous era. No different than you can spot track and you can, uh, document and right, these things right. that have changed the sport in little details, but not necessarily change the, the, what we're hearkening at in the, in the bigger picture of like setting an FKT, what is the fastest time? Yeah. Do you have thoughts on? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, uh, in a certain, in a certain way, the, the controversy is, is the controversy about Lael is heartbreaking because it's sort of like, it's this immediate and overwhelming distraction from having a much more positive conversation about, mm-hmm. about achievement and accomplishment about, about, um, uh, drawing people in and, and drawing attention to something that we care about. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that, to me, that's the, that's the headline story. And then sure. Maybe when you start turning the pages, you get to page three, you get to the controversy, but that's not how the world is, right? The world leads with the controversy. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I wrote about this on my blog, uh, a few days after, uh, Lale finished and basically came out super positively about the, about the FKT took a lot of shit for having written. I mean, it took a lot of very positive, you know, I got a lot of positive feedback, but I took a lot of uh, mm-hmm. crap too for it, for, mm-hmm. for what I had to say. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because a lot of people wanted to kind of wag their finger and say, well, you're not an, you're not an ultra endurance racer. So you can't actually say here, um, seems a little condescending to me, but um, maybe, 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 maybe. Uh, but anyway, but, but the position that I took on it, or at least my position now, I want to see what Payson has to say about this. Like Payson's going to write something right about this. Yeah, right? I think so. Uh, but so, so anyway, my, my take on it now is that, for me as a fan of racing in lots of different forms from the, the Williams students in the B field at the collegiate crit to the tour of Italy, right. To to the Giro. So, so racing in all those forms, I'm a fan of it Mm -hmm. as a fan. What I want to know is who, who has pushed push their, you know, push their, their work ethic and their, their talent and their, their, their born gifts, who has pushed those to the, to the absolute limit to have mm-hmm. achieved this glorious thing, right? It's, it's an exaltation of human achievement for me yeah. when I watch yeah. bike racing. And so like, if I want to know who has the FKT at something, I want to know who, who did it fastest, mm-hmm. right? You know, without cheating. Uh, right, and then, of course, then we have to interrogate our notions of what cheating is, right? If you get on a train, you're cheating. If you took EPO, you're cheating. If you whatever, right? And so, but you know, my view is is that Rue being there wasn't cheating. Mm-hmm. My view is that having folks taking some photos of you along the trip wasn't cheating. That's my view about it. As a fan, I want to know who has the FKT in that sense. Mm-hmm. If there's another sense. 
who has the FKT in this very kind of pure version, the kind of almost dirtbag version. Mm-hmm. Dirtbag, I say respectfully, because yes. that's how I travel. Yeah. If that's another thing, great. Uh-huh. I'm actually interested in this other concept, but I acknowledge that that's a concept. Overall, totally agree. Uh, wholeheartedly, I agree. Um, as a fan of cycling racing, uh, it's nice to... Con- I say we live in the golden age of, of consuming cycling media. It's like, you know, I turn on my phone and I can watch three different world tour races on any given weekend. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. I can read about it online. You can watch, it's neat how teams now have their own individual media companies that are creating YouTube videos and social media and so on and so forth. It's, there's a overabundance of media Yeah. in the world tour, especially, but you know, were it not for folks creating this kind of media it's really hard to consume it and be a fan of it uh i think it ends up being very biased were it not for a third party observing and creating Mm. the content that we can watch the race or or consume it in some way generally post facto because otherwise it's going to be if you had set the fkt and there's nobody observing it then the only way to know what had happened is you afterwards writing something down and yeah. putting it out there and, and explaining what has happened um it's yeah it's it's just strange gosh darn it yeah, uh yeah. it's like why can't we all get along <laughs> but the age in which we live so how about but, oh, can I ask you something about that? Please. Yeah. So, so I, I agree. We live in the golden age of, of watching bike racing yeah. and learning about this thing that, that is, you know, a niche within a niche in a niche, but we get to, to be a community mm-hmm. and, and be in communication with one another about it. I worry though, like I, I you know, I worry in my, so, so you know, for bikepacking.com, I've contributed a bunch of, a bunch of routes that are popular on that, on that site. So, uh, the route in Slovenia, the, the VTXL that we worked on together, which is hugely popular. Uh, I did, I did the, the route in Kyrgyzstan that was then adapted to the Silk Road mountain race, right? So, so people who raced the, the Silk Road mountain race in the first year and, and, part of the second year we're racing on my course mm-hmm. right my course i had intended that to be like a a trip for a team of four you know going from small community to small community in a certain mm-hmm. way never envisioned it as a, as a race but once it's out in the world it's not in my hands anymore in a certain yeah. way and that's what i want to ask you about like we you and i uh well i'm making assumptions about you but i i certainly uh, participate in the accumulation of data for heat maps on, on the, the phone, you know, apps that I use. Mm -hmm. I, I post the rides that I do. Almost every ride I do gets posted. I I contribute and create routes for people to, I want, you know, it, for me, it's community. And for Mm -hmm. me, it's a chance to, to break open this thing that I really resented as a young person, which was that, that 
people were keeping secrets about what was fun. Yeah. Like, I, like I couldn't break into the community because I was, you know, an, an outsider for whatever reason. And people just shared it with their friends and I never got to participate. I don't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Like I want to, I want to share this stuff because I think it's cool. And I think other people are going to think it's cool too. Yeah. But our, our era of so much shareability makes it so that places can be overloved. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, maybe some of these communities, maybe there, there might be towns in Vermont. For all, for all you and I know, there are towns in Vermont on the VTXL where in the height of the season, right, in the middle of July, there are like 15 bike packers that come through and they're like, yeah, you know, right? Look at this you know, like, like, what, yeah, what, like what's going on here? Uh-huh. And so like, what do you think about that? Like sharing versus... You know, keeping the community open, but also wanting to respect that the the land needs our stewardship, communities need our respect and stewardship. What do we do? Beats me. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me on the acute level uh, doing well the Northeast Kingdom. That no, that's a poor example. Uh, but I'm thinking of of routes and rides that depend on private landowners, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, Vermont Fifty, for example, is a good example because one day a year a bunch of landowners open up their property and allow people to ride it and race it where 364 days of the rest of the year they're not it's private land um i mean as we talked about a half hour ago yeah so much of my career has unfolded the way it has as a result of social media and being transparent about what I'm doing and where I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. Uh, we live in such a strange public age that yeah, as the father of a two-year-old, it, it worries me where it's going. Um, what I like about cycling social media outside of the forums that, that hang so much crap on all of this, the, the Lael controversy mm. is by and large, it seems positive. And maybe those are good examples of, of where we can still see humanity, like niggling at the problem. And that's where we're humanity in the first place mm-hmm. rather than cyclists. But the forums, the, the, the comment sections seem to be upbeat. They seem to be positive. Yeah. I like that. I rely on that. That that makes me happy, even if it's the one negative comment out of a thousand positive <laughs> ones. One that, that <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I I don't know. It's a strange. It's a strange time. It it reminds me of a question. Okay, UCI is threatening to come into gravel. Uh, the life lifetime series is controversial in, in gravel as gravel just continues to get more serious. And what I've often tried to take a step back and talk amongst my contemporaries and say, okay, well, rather than saying gravel is going the wrong direction, getting too serious, why can't we just look at what works in gravel now and heighten the positive parts and Mm. keep what works well and, and just sort of shed what does not work well that it's a cute thought putting that to practice is a lot easier said than done because it's almost like cycling is gravel cycling and cycling in general is just momentum and and it's going to change in whatever way it's going to change over time so it almost just becomes this sort of live in the moment 
like mm. you feel like a drop in the bucket. What can I actually? Yeah, what can, where can I impart change? Yeah. Uh, but I, I like what you're saying about the about well, you know, king into the goodness of people, mm-hmm. uh, and I agree. I think a, I think a lot of the conversation in the space that we're talking about is positive conversation, like king into the goodness of people, and giving them a kind of incentive to maximize the the positive aspect like from like what that means for me is i've kind of changed the way i write up the the routes that i post on my blog or on bikepacking.com like i used to i used to give everybody all the goods yeah and i I thought i my thinking then was i'm gonna make it possible for some somebody to like just take this ride off the web and do the whole thing and have a great time. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was my duty to the sense of community and to an acknowledgement of, of sharing. I don't do it that way anymore. I like leave a lot of stuff out and I leave so much out now that, you know, some people are like, what the hell? You've left all this stuff out. How am I supposed to do this ride? Where do mm-hmm. I camp? Where do I get food? What's the weather going to be like? What kind of bike should I be on? Like, do yeah. I need to bring a, right. And so I leave so much out that people now call me out on it, but like, I want, I want there to be so much left out that somebody has to like get invested in it mm-hmm. and figure it out, figure out some portion of it themselves, mm-hmm. which the hope is that once they do, then they're kind of cultivating the positive and expressing the goodness of their nature because now, now they've put in the work to like be in a place mm-hmm. and to understand, you know, what this experience means. Yeah. You know, like how that translates into something like gravel racing. Like, I'm not sure, but it feels like there should be an opportunity there to have people invested in it to like, keep it good. Yeah. That's, uh, I've never poured into, a route, a ride as much as I did before Arkansas high country, because it's the first multi-day It had nothing to do with getting a fast result. It was, it was, how am I going to survive when it's <laughs> cold and, and I don't have friends holding my hand. Uh, and that was the first time that I really felt like a bike packer and pouring over gazetteers and looking at, yeah. at yeah. Know, topographical maps and so on and so forth. Um, what I loved about it was, uh, I could also speak with other friends who had far more experience bikepacking than I, and they were very eager to share. Yeah. And that was very cool. I don't know. I, and I feel like now translating it to gravel, there's, it's, it's becoming so hyper competitive. I think people are, uh, a bit more apprehensive to share their mm. beta. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's amongst racers and because in that, that very sharp part of the race, like, yeah, we are talking about marginal gains now. Whereas if people who are new to the sport, when they reach out, by all means, I, and I think a lot of my contemporaries sure. are sharing all sure. of that, uh, sure. years and years and years of beta. So beats me. Um, is the way you ride bikes now, like, is there, if you had, if, if not to put you on the spot, but if you, if you had to like say what you love, what you value, what, what source of meaning you get from the way you ride bikes now mm-hmm. versus the way you rode bikes 15 years ago, like what is, what is that difference? What is it now for you? Uh, I can guarantee that 15 years ago, I would not have said it's about the community, mm. um, with changing 
time in life and, and life circumstances and now being a father and being a husband, uh, it, it, I love nothing more than casual family rides or we rode yesterday literally two miles downhill to the Richmond Mountain Trails fundraising thing at the bar <laughs> with Hazel on my handlebars and then rode back. And so, you know, four mile ride. Uh, sure. I mean, that never would have entered my, 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 it, it is not a bike ride I ever would have done 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the listener, the viewer sees that like, yeah, I've had a bike racing perspective my life, uh, throughout my cycling career. You are a professor, tenured professor of philosophy. How much of the world do you see f- from that perspective, intentionally or unintentionally, you know? I might not be in the best position to talk about the unintentionally part because it yeah. might, I mean, there might be a, there might be a, like an echo of it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might have to ask Margaret what, right, what, the, what the real, what the real story is, but look, I, I love, I love what I do. I love, I love my life. I love that I get to, you know, my job is to, oh, I have to pinch myself, right? My job is to sit in a small room with 12, 20 year olds to talk about topics that are meaningful to me and meaningful to them in the most abstract, expansive way. Like that's, I do, mm-hmm. that's what I do for a living. So I love that. But I don't want that to be the entirety of it. Like I, like I want, you know, I, I want to be with place and people in the world and bikes has been my avenue for getting out of the, the world of, of the academy and philosophy. So, you know, people, People like people who don't know me that well are like, were you doing philosophy when you were on that bike trip? I'm like, no, like, hell no. <laughs> like, like, no, I, w- I was actually working very hard to not do philosophy then yeah. because I was trying to get tired enough at high enough altitude and hungry enough so as to break my consciousness so that I wasn't thinking thoughts. Yeah. That's what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my hope for myself is that that's, that's not the entirety of the, and, and you, you were, you were. I know you're, you're being only half serious because you're, of course, cycling is a big, a big part of your world, but look, I, you know, for the short time I've known you, like, I, I feel like, I, I feel like you, you, you think m- massively outside of cycling type thoughts mm-hmm. about what's good, about what's important, about how to live a life. Right. That's why I think that's why people, people have, have been interested in your career because you're not just, you know, turning the pedals. 